this is a faithful saying, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am chief. 1 Timothy 1, verse 15. I'm Jason Garcia, and this is Faithful Sayings. Well, thanks again for tuning in this morning. Uh, my Bible is open to Deuteronomy chapter 22. Deuteronomy 22 is where our study is going to begin this morning. appreciate your feedback and any questions that you may have. As always, I want to remind you just to send those to leonvalleychurch at gmail.com. If you have uh, a biblical question or perhaps a question that's inspired specifically uh, because of this study, uh, we welcome those and we want to uh, study with you and set up further opportunities to study with you if that's your desire. Feel free to visit our website at leonvalleychurch.org where you can find more information, more studies, and more resources if that's your desire. You know, whether we like it or not, transgender and transsexual behavior is falling rapidly behind homosexual behavior in our culture and its aim to be mainstream and celebrated. And those unwilling to celebrate with the media and celebrate with uh, others who don't share a biblical view will be lambasted and labeled all kinds of nasty things and, and said to have sexual insecurities or be hateful or bigoted or something just as bad. So this is a, a topic that I think is very relevant to our time. It's front burner relevant and we need to uh, go back to the scriptures and see if, if God has anything to say about transgenderism or about transsexuality. Uh, those who men who would claim to be women or who are born with the minds or souls of women and, and vice versa, women who claim to be men or have the minds of men and so uh, pursue a transgender lifestyle and maybe even go so far as to have uh, surgery to change their, their anatomy. You know, we live in a day, unfortunately, uh, when individual autonomy and personal preference or choice are considered by many to have priority over God's will and design. And the Bible has a word for that. It's called idolatry. But we're going to begin, we're, we're going to talk more about that later this morning. We want to begin, though, in Deuteronomy chapter 22 and begin to see, begin to develop the biblical view of why um, transgenderism is is displeasing to God uh, and the idea of tran transsexuality. So uh, let's just begin reading in Deuteronomy 22 and verse 5. Uh, that says, A woman shall not wear man's clothing, nor shall a man put on a woman's clothing. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. Uh, now, in, in biblical times, clothing for males and females was different only in styles and details, not necessarily in kind. So uh, Abraham in Genesis was not walking around in trousers, and Sarah, his wife, you know, wasn't wearing skirts or, and, and blouses and things like this. They actually wore clothing that was very similar uh, in their in their design. Uh, you know, it was probably a single piece of fabric, a tunic or a chiton type type garment that covered the whole body. But there were some distinctions, some details on those garments that differentiated, uh, you know, between men and, and women or that showed gender distinction. And so here in Deuteronomy 22 and verse 5, Moses is, is speaking to that uh, that principle and is saying that God considers it an abomination when a man 
wears tries to appear as a woman and wears women's clothing and vice versa when a woman uh, tries to appear as a man and wears men's clothing. Uh, so Paul will make uh, another argument from that same principle in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let me read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you want to turn there with me, that'd be ideal. Uh, so Paul doesn't have specifically uh, transvestism in mind here uh, or transvestite. He's, he's, he's making a different point within the context, but nevertheless, uh, he's arguing from this principle that there is something to be learned uh, from nature about distinctions in gender, and that should manifest itself uh, in, in our appearance and the way that we carry ourselves. So uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 14, he says, Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. Uh, so Paul is addressing a different issue there in the church in Corinth uh, about how women and men were uh, to, to carry themselves and for what reason. But the the principle that he's arguing from there in verses 14 and 15 is that there's, there's, there's something natural about a man having short hair and a woman having long hair. And to try and switch that appearance would be unnatural and thus in the context sinful and, and wrong, just as it was back in Deuteronomy uh, 22, where we find, you know, various sundry laws in that chapter. You know, there's laws about uh, not taking a mother bird uh, from her nest and not having uh, donkeys and oxen unequally yoked. Uh, and the verse that we read, verse 5, is sandwiched kind of between all of those, all of those things. But that principle carries over, I think we see, into the the New Testament. So what's what's the issue uh, we're not talking about really types of clothing or that it's sinful for a woman to wear a pants suit or a Scotsman to wear a kilt. Uh, you know, they, they take offense if you call that a, a dress, right? You know, we dress appropriately, appropriately to our time and to our culture. And in different times and cultures, you know, different types of clothing can pass our, we can pass ourselves off as masculine or feminine, or feminine uh, you know, in Near Eastern countries, you know, men can be masculine and wearing a robe-like garment because that communicates, not that he's trying to appear as a woman, but that particular kind of garment shows that he is, he is a man. So again, the prohibition here is not that women can't wear jeans or something like this, um, but we shouldn't try to pass ourselves off in our culture as the opposite gender. So our clothing communicates something about us, um, and we can see that throughout the New Testament, throughout the Old Testament, and Proverbs especially. Uh, one example, you know, Genesis 38, verses 14 and 15. Remember Judah there, uh, when he, he goes out to make his living and finds Tamar, uh, whom he's denied his son, and she's uh, deceiving him by dressing him, uh, dressing up rather as, as a prostitute. And the, the verse in verses 14 and 15, it says specifically in Genesis 38 that Judah thought she was a prostitute or a harlot because she covered her face with a veil. So in that time, covering one's, a woman covering her face with a veil communicated to the community around her in that culture uh, that she was a prostitute. And that's her clothing, the way she dressed, communicated something about, about her. So 
You know, women can be feminine in a modest pantsuit in our time, and men can be masculine in a robe-like garment. Um, but again, the issue is, the prohibition is against trying to pass ourselves off uh, as a woman or as women when we are, in fact, a man, and vice versa if we're uh, a, a woman trying to pass ourselves off as a man when we're, in fact, a woman. That's, that's a, a deceitful attempt. It's an attempt to blur the line between sexes and Moses says that is an abomination to the Lord and Paul is saying it's unnatural in 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, so I think it's appropriate to start here in Deuteronomy 22 because um, transsexuality is closely linked I think with transvestism and in turn transvestism and homosexuality are linked in scripture. Uh, just as I believe, obviously and observably, they are in our world, right? If we're objective and we're being honest with ourselves, we can see uh, transvestism or cross-dressing is inexorably linked with homosexuality. And according to you know a number of medical journals and, and experts, uh, they will say that, that that classified transgenderism as a disorder. They will in some cases, say that it's really transgenderism and transsexuality is just a further expression of homosexuality, which we know the Bible the Bible condemns. So um, why would Moses be saying this in Deuteronomy 22? Why is this a part of uh, God's law? Uh, well, obviously, we've established that it's, that it's unnatural, but in the Canaanite culture, in the, in the land in Palestine where the Hebrews would ultimately settle, and they would have their their kingdom uh, that God would give to them after they conquered various Canaanite peoples. Uh, they are told time and time again not to imitate the people around them, not to uh, worship their gods and worship their idols and, and do the things that they do. But they were to be separate and consecrated and holy to the Lord. And we know that Canaanite pagan worship entailed, in some cases, cross-dressing and homosexual activity in order to honor their various fertility gods uh, and different Phoenician gods and things things like this. Uh, you know, it's, re- it's repeatedly referred to throughout the Old Testament. And one example of that is in 1 Kings 14, uh, verse 24. It says that there were also male cult prostitutes in the land, and they did according to all the abominations of the nations which the Lord dispossessed before the sons of Israel. So, Uh, Here things are turning very bad under the king Rehoboam of Judah. And the New American Standard Bible uh, translates this phrase, male prostitutes, um, that comes from the original Hebrew. If you're reading from the King James Version, that verse will be translated as uh, there were sodomites uh, in in the land involved in this pagan worship. And, of course, we know what that uh, is, is referring to, the homosexual practice that was condemned in Sodom and so henceforth was referred to as sodomy and those who engaged in it as as sodomites. And so these practices of of transvestism, cross-dressing, homosexuality uh, under the guise of of religion are are nothing new uh, and even went on in in ancient times here in, in Bible times as as we see. And again in that context it is it is condemned it says there again in 1 Kings 14:24 that Uh, This was an abomination to the Lord, that God did not want His people to engage in those same practices that the nations around them were engaging in. Uh, So 
another passage I think that's pertinent to this discussion then in light of the associations and connections that we're making in, in all these different behaviors is Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, of course, we looked at this passage uh, just a few weeks ago in our study on homosexuality, but I just want to pick out a few more verses here uh, that I think speak to uh, the the issue, again, specifically those who would try to practice this behavior under the guise of righteousness or religious sanction, uh, because even the Canaanites were doing doing that, and God's people in Rehoboam's day were deceived into doing this uh, as well, uh, even though it was sinful. Uh, they were involved in these kinds of practices, even as worship worship practices. And Paul says in Romans 1 and verse 21 uh, that of these people, that even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Verse 25 says that they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creator, uh, excuse me, worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Again, verse 28. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. And then finally, verse 31 uh, says that they are without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. And so Paul characterizes, again, these folks who may be practicing these things, engaging in these behaviors, even under the guise of religion, as exchanging the truth of God for a lie, as dishonoring themselves as being darkened in their understanding, as being, uh, verse 31, without understanding, uh, being unmerciful and, and unloving. And they're caught up in all this, this error. And if you've been paying and paying attention to the news uh, stories lately in the media, you'll know that Bruce Jenner has kind of been the standard bearer here lately in this kind of behavior. And I think his, his own reaction shortly after uh, one of the surgeries that he that he had reveals his conscience regarding. So in Romans one and First Corinthians eleven, Paul will make the point that this is this is unnatural that they're they're going against nature when they try to try to do these things. And you know Bruce Jenner admitted to Vanity Fair in this interview that he that he did with that magazine and said that he had a panic attack after a ten hour surgery. That he had, where his chin was filed down, and his forehead and his throat, and he says he recalls looking in the mirror and saying, well, "You know, what did I just do to myself? What did I just do to myself?" And having this panic attack, and so uh, I think that reveals his conscience. He, you know, a lot of proponents of of these surgeries and this kind of behavior who encourage it and, and encourage others to, you know, if to to further their transgenderism and transsexuality or even try to go under the knife for sexual reassignment surgery will say, well, you know, just the medication or the hormones uh, that these people take to alter their uh, gender, quote-unquote, which is biblically impossible, uh, that those medications will sometimes cause panic attacks and these kinds of reactions. But 
I think if we understand what the Bible is saying, which is very clear that this is something unnatural, that you know he had a moment when he understood that he was going against nature, and he he panicked and he questioned himself, "What did I just, what did I just do?" So, um, in their heart of hearts, they know this is unnatural. It's unnatural, just as the Bible. The Bible says, and it goes against God's design and His purpose for us. Uh, and as we've seen previously from Deuteronomy 22 and, and 1 Kings 14, that these behaviors of transvestism and homosexuality and trying to pass oneself off as, as a woman, you know, in, in Sodomite pagan worship, you know, when the cross-dressing was going on and that, that that was... That's all sinful. It's all wrapped up together, and it's an abomination to the Lord. Uh, you know, the, the biology of sex alone should tell us and does tell us that homosexuality, um, under which I think these other categories of sin that we're, we're talking about uh, and all the emotional and, and sexual dysfunction that, that goes along with it, this is just not normal. The biology of sex alone should tell us that, and the Bible is telling us the same thing that God's intent from the beginning is for a man to be joined with a woman in marriage and with definite boundaries between men and women in both their appearance and behavior and their role within the home and within the church and within the world um, that he has made. And Jesus is speaking to this point in Matthew chapter 19. Uh, Matthew chapter 19. I'd like to read that. So Matthew 19, verses 4 and 5, as Jesus is reiterating now uh, God's marriage law after being challenged by some of the Pharisees about the question of divorce, uh, and he says in verse 4, it says in verse 4 that he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So Jesus too reveals God's design. Of course, that's recorded back in Genesis one twenty six. Uh, Genesis one seventeen and two twenty four. Jesus is just quoting those passages and showing that this was always God's intention and design from the beginning. And every departure since then from that pattern has been wrong. And he'll go on to say in verse eight that even the, the permission granted for divorce under the law of Moses was due to the hardness of of your hearts. But now that's not going to be the case anymore, and no one can be divorced except for the reason of fornication. But anyway, back back to our point. He's he's showing us why such gender reassignment is not not only sinful, but it's impossible. It's impossible to even attempt and, and and sinful to attempt too because it is God who assigns each of us those roles and identities. In the beginning, God made them male and female. And so a man created by God can never lay claim to womanhood, and a woman created by God can never lay claim to being a man. 
It's just not possible because God has given each and every person their gender. He forms us. He designs us when we are still in the womb. Listen to this passage from Psalm 139. Psalm 139. David says here, beginning in verse 13, that you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth, and your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in your book were, were written all the days of my life that were ordained, ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Again, God forms us in the womb of our mothers. He sees our unformed substance. He knows what His plan is for us, what our identity is going to be what our gender is going to be specifically and he assigns us those roles within the home within the family within the church he's he's defined distinctive roles for the man and and the woman to fulfill and to try and rearrange our identity and that that order that he is that he has made to suit our interests and to suit our feelings is an affront to his authority and to his will. Again, because he made them male and female. And by extension, we need to understand that he made female emotions and female personalities and female characteristics, just as he did for the male. Personalities. And he gives, there's a male soul and a female soul. A female spirit. And Genesis 2.18 specifically reveals the reason that he made woman for man. There was not a counterpart suitable for the man to be found in all of creation. And so God said, I will make a help meet suitable for him, a companion for him. You see, God created a woman to bring something special to the table something distinct. She was to fill a void and to fill a role that that creating another man would not fill. And the spirit of a helpmeet is always contained securely in a female body, in a helpmeet's body, not a man's. And a man cannot change what he was designed to do by carving himself up to look like a woman. And, you know, we can say and see, you know, surgically or cosmetically, he may resemble something that looks like a woman, but he is not a woman. Because there is more to being a woman than feminized facial features. No matter how much society or the media may insist that Bruce Jenner or that any man following in his footsteps is is a woman. We cannot join them in that alternate reality that they have made up for themselves. We cannot join them in that delusion. Because again, there's more to being a woman than just artificially changing our bodies and carving and surgically manipulating our bodies so that we, we look like a woman. That doesn't change who God made us to be, who God formed us to be in in our mother's womb. 
as far as our gender is concerned. We're talking about conceit and self-obsession, narcissism, to think that we can manipulate our God's design or to, to manipulate our body so that we can somehow change what he created us to be. That's it's idolatrous, and Paul speaks to it in, in Romans chapter 1. And in fact, he specifically ties that conduct with idolatry. Do you remember what he says there that we read? That they exchange the truth of God for a lie, and they worship the creature rather than the creator. So this behavior is, is an expression of idolatry. It's, it's confusion, it's perversion. Uh, it's it's dysfunction of what is natural. It's going against what is natural as people try to remake themselves in their own image or the image of another creature, whether we're talking about animals or something else, or in this case, as we're studying this morning, uh, the opposite sex. That is self-worship. That is will-worship, as Paul refers to in Colossians chapter 2. And it's idolatry. That's another reason why it is so sinful idolatry is reigning supreme in that person's life and they are so enamored and so obsessed with trying to to alter their identity remake themselves in their and this image that they have imagined in their in their minds whether we're talking about a woman who's imagining herself as a man or a man imagining himself as as a woman you know people are calling Bruce Jenner their savior and hero and he's developing a following of worshipers who give hearty approval to what he is doing. Does that sound familiar at all? Romans 1.32 People not only engage in these behaviors, but they give hearty approval to others. Encourage this kind of behavior. And I'm sure it will turn out to be quite lucrative for, for him. The male cult prostitutes are the sodomites who are engaged in transvestism and homosexual behavior and under the guise of worship and religion. Uh, they commodified and profited from that behavior, from their debauchery. And so too will he and all those who follow in his footsteps. You know, he, he will get a reality TV deal and interviews and magazine spreads. Paul says in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 10 that the love of money is the root of many kinds of evil. So what do we do? How are we to respond to this behavior? What are we to, to say to, to people? Well, first of all, we need to have pity upon the law. 2 Timothy 2 verses 24 through 26, I think, give great instruction when we're talking about confronting any kind of sin or offering biblical correction. There Paul says that the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, and patient when wrong, and with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, so that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. So it's a pitiful picture that is painted for us there that 
all people in sin, and when we sin, we we are held captive by the devil. And if we are in self-deceived, as so many of these folks are, Paul is saying in verse twenty-six, try to help them come to their senses. And so that's certainly part of part of our response, and we need to understand that this sin, like all sin, homosexual, transsexual behavior, uh, or any sexual sin, can be forgiven. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 11, Paul says that such were some of you to the church at Corinth, but you were sanctified, you were washed, you were cleansed when you obeyed the gospel of Christ. And we need to understand too that to to truly love these people means and entails that we are going to have to call their sin what it is, what it is, this, this behavior we will have to call it sinful and harmful, perverted, if we are going to show that we love them according to 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 6. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices with the truth. And we should always strive to speak the truth in love, Ephesians 4.15. As destructive and abnormal and unnatural as this sin may be, we are called to do that, to take this bold, compassionate stance, regardless of the media's opinion, regardless of popular opinion, because the way of man is not in himself, Jeremiah 10.23. We must fear God. We must give people the word of God and the truth of God. And where there is no trembling before his word, we will find all kinds of sin and perversion and destructive behavior. And that may be the politically incorrect perspective in our sex-saturated culture that declares and desires sexual expression at any cost, that it's right for everyone and anyone, however and whenever they choose, on their terms. But God is saying in His Word, it's not. That's not the case. He wants every person, regardless of their condition, to submit to the role and gender assigned to Him, to submit to Him and to Christ and glorify Him, and the body that He gave us. We've considered some very difficult things this morning, I know, but God's Word has all truth and all the answers to life's questions. And if you desire to study these things further, I would enjoy that opportunity and would enjoy studying with you. Please email us at leonvalleychurch at gmail.com. And once again, I'm Jason Garcia, and this has been Faithful Sayings. Faithful Sayings.